Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We are continuing today with our walk through the book of Exodus. And today we are in chapter 17. And the uh, passage we'll deal with yesterday, um, uh, to me tomorrow, uh, is also connected to this idea of Moses needing help. And we're going to see this in different contexts. So we are in chapter 17, verses 8 through 15, where we read this. While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the, Amalek the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, Write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, there, there's a number of interesting connections here. Uh, one of them, the you know the Amalekites. It might be hard for a lot of us to keep keep it straight, like all these different ancient peoples, many of whom no longer exist. But the Amalekites do do show up later. They are a, a kind of perpetual enemy for uh, the Israelites, both symbolically and in many ways, literally. Um, probably the most famous Amalekite is someone named Haman. And Haman shows up in the book of Esther as the uh, kind of enemy to the Israel. And he becomes kind of a symbol throughout history for the Jewish people for anti-Semitism and those who wish to wipe out the Jewish people. And so every time, if you've ever been to a Purim ceremony, um, whenever they read the God, whenever they read the book of Esther and you get to the name Haman, everybody makes hissing noises and uses noisemakers and everything. It kind of turns into a whole spectacle. But but Haman, an Amalekite, becomes kind of this symbol of anti-Semitism and a desire to wipe out the Jewish people. And it starts here because the Amalekites are the first people to meet the Israelites coming out of Egypt and they greet them in battle trying to wipe them out. And so this is kind of the, the way that they're remembered. Um, Moses goes up to the mountain and he holds up this staff. The staff is a symbol of God's power and deliverance. In many ways, it's a reminder that God shepherds Israel, like this, the staff, like we studied in, in uh, when we um, did Psalm 23, the staff, the shepherd's staff is a, a symbol of comfort and guidance and protection uh, for the sheep. And we're uh, God's sheep, uh, and Moses, in this case, is the, the shepherd of the people. And so that staff is a symbol of God's protection and power. And as long as it's held up, as long as it's you know bold and visible to the people, they're able to rally and they're able to have victory. But as soon as Moses begins to fade, uh, their advantage begins to fade as well. And, and so they come up with this kind of novel solution. They have Moses sit on a rock and they stand on each side of him, Joshua and her, and they, they hold up his arms so that Moses is able to literally hold his arms up all day and the Israelites are able uh, to gain a victory. And I think one of the things I said, like I said at the beginning, one of the things that's powerful about this is that 
you know, Moses may be the anointed one. Moses may be the one who is going to save his people, but he needs a lot of help. Just because he has a, an anointing and a great gift doesn't mean that he's not going to need a lot of help. In fact, he's going to need perhaps even more help because of that. Just because someone is in a special position uh, with their gifts and their talents or, or, or you know, God even choosing them, it doesn't mean that that we get to sit back and just watch and, and spectate. No, there's a role for us all to play. And there's a way in which maybe even the greater the gifts or the position of a person, the more people have to gather around to help magnify those gifts for the benefit of all. And then at the end, they they erect this uh, monument, this, this altar that says, the Lord is my banner. And, um, you know, there's we also have this image of this wooden staff being lifted up. And it reminds me, you know, obviously I'm a, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, I see Jesus everywhere, but I think it's intentional here, you know, Jesus, and before we get to John 3, 16, that God so loved the world, we have John 3, 14 and 15, which, where Jesus says that he must be lifted up so that all people might be, uh, receive eternal life. That That's where it starts. And so there is this kind of process of, of lifting up, um, God, the symbol of God's power, the, the symbol of God's shepherding, the symbol of God's protection. And, and when that's lifted up, that's where we find uh, are able to connect with victory in our lives. It doesn't mean we don't have a role to play. In fact, in many ways, there's even more of a call to action as it was for the army of Israelites. But at the same time, we have to recognize that it's the Lord who brings the victory. It's the Lord who is the banner. Um, and this is where we find faith over fear because Jesus is able to secure the victory for us. So anyway, so those are some of the connections I see in this kind of uh, famous passage. But I, I, I love this passage too, especially teaching this to kids, because it's almost comical to get somebody up in front of everybody, to try to just hold their arms, even without anything in them, hold them up just for five minutes and to watch people struggle, and then to imagine Moses trying to do that all day. Uh, Dave, I'm wondering what you see here. Well, I've got a, you know a personal connection to this passage, but then also maybe more interesting to other people is is I think the theological consideration. The personal consideration is this: so uh, they're going into battle, and you'd think that the most useful person in that battle is going to be the special forces leader, you know, whoever it is, like the, the kind of their their best fighter. Um, and uh, and I think in human terms, of course, that's true. But because this is actually a spiritual battle, the, the most important person is Moses up on the hill, who, from a human perspective, is doing nothing except kind of airing out his armpits, right? He's not helping. He's not even in the battle. Actually, he's right at the front lines of the real battle, right? That's actually, I think, the point of this story. Uh, and of course, as you already pointed out so well, that he needed help staying there. And I'm going to tell you how I hear this as somebody who is a, a, a kind of in a position of spiritual leadership. Um, I need people to hold my arms up. But what that means is I need people around me to keep me focused on God's power, to keep me channeling God's power. Because I think that's actually the real challenge is so oftentimes People like me will, will end up uh, leaning into our own gifts. What they need is a leader who actually is, is fully attentive to God and leading the people that way. And so what I see these, these other two brothers are, are doing is they're helping hold up Moses' arms, which is to say, 
they're keeping Moses connected to God. And I think that's the kind of, um, on, as a leader, I feel like that's the help I need is people who help me. And I'm so thankful at our church, I have people like this uh, who are keeping me paying attention to Jesus. They're keeping me relying on God's power that they're paying attention not to, hey, Dave, can you do this extra thing? Can you go out to the front lines and talk to this group or lead this study? Uh, but you know, and that's important. That's my role at certain moments. But they understand my most important role is the one that is not out front. It's it's the stuff that nobody sees, right? It's kind of like in Moses' case, back up on the mountain, uh, you know, kind of behind everybody. It, it, the most important part, I'm convinced, of my ministry at, at, at our church is the prayer walks that I take each day in the woods alone. And when I start to rely on my own strength, when I start to think, oh, I got to get down there in the battlefield, that that's the thing. I need those people who are, who are kind of pushing me to, to spend enough time with Jesus, to, to be able to, to kind of keep in God's counsel and relying on God's power. And that, I think, is when our church is strong. And in seasons where I have given in to too much doing my own, you know, trying to lead out of my own strength or gift, I just think that is where our, our church may be effective in, in one worldly sense, but very ineffective in this much more profound spiritual sense. Uh, and, and so I just think, you know, that's kind of the role of spiritual leaders. And you would be shocked. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's such a common thing. And there have been seasons in my life, sadly, where this has been common too. And and actually, I think it's the gift that I have of some of the people around me on our, our pastoral staff team, uh, in our, our church leadership, uh, my, my own wife, you know, people who really know how essential that is and really push me in that. And so they won't let me fall back into those old patterns again. Uh, but I, I really feel like that is kind of one of the, the key lessons I'm taking out of this. The other one that it may, is a little less personal for me, but is, is I think, perhaps more interesting to other people. Uh, you know, it's a funny thing as we read in the Bible about a massacre. How are we supposed to understand that, right? Like the Israelites need a little more room. And so just, yep, let's just kind of knock these jokers out of the way. I mean, there does have these echoes of this manifest destiny, the kind of stuff you know, that we see as, as uh, uh, you know, the, the European settlers are, are moving in and just taking over in sometimes very brutal ways, taking over uh, the, the, uh, the, the land we now inhabit. And, and there was a, a sense of dehumanization of others. And you think, well, hold it, is that what's happening here? Uh, but it's actually very important that that is not the whole story. It's not just, hey, the only people who matter the Israelites, so let's get rid of everybody else. Uh, in fact, going all the way back to Genesis, I don't remember exactly the verse, but it, it's around in the time when God's talking to Abram. So it's like around Genesis 15. Uh, sometime around in there, uh, God basically says, hey, you're going to possess this land, right? The, 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 the land I promised your forefathers. You're going to possess that land, but not yet. Because the sin of the people who are there has not yet reached its fullness. And so God, part of the reason, why is it that the Israelites stayed in captivity for 400 years? Well, part of it is, is God was saying, I'm going to use you at one point to be the vehicle through which I bring justice and, and, and bring judgment, but not yet. And actually, where we think, oh, the other people are being kicked out just because God only cares about the Israelites. No, it's the opposite way. Because God is, is actually bringing judgment against these other people who have sinned so egregiously, God is using the Israelites to do this other thing. 
And I just want to, the reason I'm making this point is that um, it, this does not justify any kind of dehumanization. This is God doing something that we would lack the ability to, to do on our own, that we wouldn't be able to have the authority to do on our own. Uh, but God is bringing judgment. And in fact, what we're going to see in Isaiah, we're, we're told that the, uh, the Assyrian army, who's now coming against Israel and is destroying the people of Israel, God says, yeah, they're just a tool in my hand. No, 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 don't worry about them. I'm your problem. I'm bringing judgment on you. And that God uses other people to bring judgment on groups. Uh, but it's, it's um, he's actually, this is part of his relationship with those people. And in fact, a violation of that relationship. So anyway, this I think has a much richer kind of, um, uh, God has a much richer understanding and depth of concern for the people of Canaan. And in fact, that's why he's bringing judgment because of what they were doing and sinning against the people of Canaan so much. God had to bring it to an end. Uh, so anyway, I think that's such an interesting point. Yeah, while you're saying that, I had to look up the exact verse. It's uh, Genesis 15, 16, where God says to Abraham that his his descendants are going to be captives in a land for 400 years because the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its fullness. This idea that God was going to be so patient that he was going to let the children of Abraham suffer in slavery for centuries because he still was not done with the Amorites. He, they still had second chance and third chance and, and, and chance after chance after chance. So it's only after this incredibly long period during which Israel is suffering that he's going to finally bring judgment upon them. That's right. That's right. Well, John, would you be one to close us in prayer today? Yeah, I'd love to. Our, our good and gracious God, um, I pray that you would be our banner, that we would remember that uh, whatever human leadership there is, you are the one who uh, directs us. Um, you are the one who is in, in command. And Lord, I pray that we would look to you in, in all things. We would look to you for instruction and, and inspiration and the energy to carry out what you have for us. Lord, I pray we would uh, take seriously this, this uh, necessity of putting you first in our lives, to have a rich connection to you ourselves, so that whatever gifts you give us, Lord, we'd be able to use them uh, effectively and to use them in a way that blesses others, as even as we are blessed by the gifts of others in the way that we help each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow.